Cinephile. Nicholas Cage. Very sincere group of film enthusiasts who are proudly cinephiles. Oh my goodness, Warren Beatty apparently read the wrong name. This is incredible. Moonlight One Best Picture. Cinephile. Ethan Hawke. It's kind of like I'm a professional actor and I direct for love. There's so much in this world that's dividing us. And music is one of those great tools that brings us together. All right. There's baseball and World War II. It's kind of <laughs> a dream. Cinephile. The Adnan Verk Movie Podcast. All right. Yes. Why wasn't I still recording? That would have been gold. Could have run that as the, the open. open. What the movie does do is give you a hair-raising feeling of what it really felt like inside the spacecraft where every hour was life-threatening and the outcome was always perilous. That's from longtime film critic Rex Reed of The Observer. First Man, one of the films we'll be reviewing this time on Cinephile. As always, thank you for the download. Thank you for checking us out. Please do subscribe to all your friends about us. Go to iTunes. I rank my movies out of four Maple Leafs. You rank them there out of five stars. Let us know because that's how the pod keeps on rolling. Today we got Robert Forster who is... Phenomenal. 52 years in the business. He's awfully entertaining. His stories, they rank up there, I think, top five cinephile interviews we've had. Probably uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Willem Dafoe, J.K. Simmons. He's in that mix of uh, very entertaining, very candid. So look forward to that listen coming up. He's got a new movie out called What They Had, starring Hilary Swank, Michael Shannon. It's coming out in theaters this coming Friday, so look forward to that. Uh, do we have, as far as the elements back, is there an everyman set up for this week, Dan Stanza? Because people are clamoring for that. I, I heard people clamoring. I, you know, long weekend. I was in Chicago. Went to the Notre Dame game in South Bend, Indiana. I'm all over the place. People can keep clamoring, but yeah. I have nothing for them this week. A review of Touchdown Jesus, perhaps, but no review of anything. No, yeah. I could review the Notre Dame offense and how, <laughs> how sluggish it looked until the fourth quarter. Uh, the last movie I saw was The Star is Born. Okay. So you got my thoughts on that in the last podcast. These podcasts are coming. People it's want you. They don't need me. Nah, that's not true. You saw those tweets coming. You saw them. Passports, they're in, a de- in defense up. People are wondering about that. Not this time either, but uh, I did get to watch uh, <laughs> the YouTube series Cobra Kai. So I could I could kind of wax poetic a little bit about that if you wish. We'll shelve that for now, but Cobra Kai may make an appearance at some point. I feel like we're letting you down here. Ben Lyons said, we love Ben. He's got his own podcast, Lyons Then, Podcast yeah. One. Me and Rick aren't bringing anything to the table in terms yeah. of our own segments, no, but, you know. You're not letting anyone down. You're, you're carrying us. Did Lyons Den send anything, though, for this week? Is he, he's not. He's busy with the Lyons Den. By the way, check that out on Apple One. Great podcast there. Very entertaining. The latest one, he had Richard Schiff. You know him from the West Wing. Good stories there. Apparently, he golfs quite a bit with Lyons. So check out the latest podcast of the Lyons Den. We're all going to roll, though, by blasting into space with First Man, one of the most anticipated movies of this fall, and I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Damien Chazelle's the director, and this this guy is now three for three, all right? Whiplash, he makes a small indie movie, which wins J.K. Simmons an Academy Award. He then does La La Land, this big, lavish love letter to Hollywood. He wins Best Director, the Oscar for that. Of course, did not win Best Picture. Moonlight won Best Picture, one of the bigger shockers of all time. And now he makes this film, First Man, which I thought was a real dazzling work of art. Um, I think what is most impressive about it, first and foremost, is the technical skill involved. It's one of those movies that I think if you really love films, you'll appreciate stuff like the sound mixing, the sound editing, and the cinematography is incredible, and his direction is amazing. And the directing is a lot of extreme close-ups. It really focuses on the faces, but then it's oftentimes focusing on this immense machinery that these spacecrafts are and all the little minutia that goes into all the details. I couldn't imagine how fastidious he was with the details. It just feels like there's so much um, 
orientation with this. And in fact, NASA was heavily involved. They had technical advisors, et cetera, to get all the details right. But first and foremost, I suffer from terrible claustrophobia. Like you guys, I can't ride. Like if it's a two-door car and there's no like uh, rear door, I can't get in that car. Like there's no way. I, I, the re- most recent time I tried it, like three years ago, I had to get to an airport. And it was my cousin. He was like, yeah, just get in the back. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. And I literally, it was like, <laughs> we went half, a, I don't even know, half a mile, just halfway down the road. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Like I literally, I'm like a dog. I have my head like sticking out the window. If ever we're stuck in an elevator, me, Dan and Rick, I'll tell you guys, just start punching me. Like just, just beat the crap out of me. I want to be unconscious because I can't take it. So you're just claustrophobic because you're not a big man by any stretch of the imagination. Right. When I got, you can easily get in the back of these vehicles. You can get right. in easy. You just can't handle being in there mentally. Correct. Like I, um, I, when I had to get a root canal, paralyzing experience, like paralyzing, like you're, you're upside down. There's lots of stuff going on. Your nose is plugged. I'm like, mm. and she's like, well, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't breathe. I'm like, uh, hyperventilating. So when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, could you imagine being in a spacecraft? <laughs> I couldn't last. The amount of medication you got to be on, like one of the best scenes they showed, Ryan Gosling, the G-force, like when they simulate these things, like it is maddening watching it. I was getting uncomfortable. I was getting claustrophobic watching this movie, appreciating just how difficult it is what these astronauts must go through. It's honestly, it's transfixing and admirable and heroic and all those words you can imagine. There's so few astronauts in the world. You don't appreciate this is like beyond what athletes do in terms of actual training to do this. Uh, and beyond just the, the mental capacity and how smart you have to be and to manage all the different situations. So uh, the story is about Neil Armstrong. Of course, he's the first man to walk on the moon. And I thought they did a smart job of just focusing on the most pertinent decade of his life. This isn't like, here's Neil as a five-year-old and here's Neil as an 80-year-old. It's like, no, no, give me the space stuff and give me the good stuff. And while it is technically dazzling, I think what's noteworthy is that Chazelle tried to balance the intimate as well. You know, in a movie where you're focusing on something, what's what's bigger than being otherworldly, than being the first guy to walk on the moon, but he also keeps the movie grounded and focuses on the relationship between Gosling and his wife, played by Claire Foy, who is certain to get an Oscar nomination for supporting actress. You know her from The Queen, uh, but here she shows all the, uh, the inner turmoil and frustration she feels because Neil is a really uh, taciturn guy. They overcome some family tragedy early in the movie, and after that, he, he just shuts down. He's a, not a very communicative guy. Um, a couple of nice scenes where he's playing with the boys and stuff, but as far as like a husband and wife relationship, he's just really not an emotive person. So one of the best scenes in the movie is before that they actually go to space. You know, they have this confrontation. I think it'll be her Oscar scene, so to speak, that she'll get nominated for, that they'll show at the Academy Awards. Uh, but I thought they did a good job of showing that uh, human interest, along with, like I said, the technical razzle-dazzle. The natural question becomes, where does this rank compared to other sports movies, or excuse me, other space movies? I think it's better than Gravity. It's a movie that I'd watched before then, which, of course, won Best Director for Alfonso Cuaron. Too early to say if it's up there with the right stuff or Apollo 13, but I think it's in that vein. And I think for Gosling's performance, I mean, what's notable here is that because, again, the movie's about grandeur and about big, he goes small. You know, he's very minimalist in his performance. So I don't think he's going to win an Oscar. I'm now worried he may not even get nominated because it's one of those performances um, that's so subtle and recessive. There's no scene where he just gets to let loose and like, <laughs> it's not like Sean Connery saying, you the man, dog. There's no scene where he starts bragging that he's on the moon. He's always just really quiet. And one of the reasons why Chazelle cast him is he said he can do so much with his eyes. I mean, if anything, Ryan Gosling's acting the way is oftentimes wearing the spacesuit and just a close-up of his eyes trying to navigate uh, the terror and what's happening around him. So I think it's an excellent performance. 
but it's one of those performances that isn't very showy. It isn't very flamboyant. It's not something the Oscars generally recognize, unlike a guy like Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, who uh, I think is the favorite right now to win. But I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. I thought First Man was a great filming experience, uh, particularly in IMAX, which is where I enjoyed it. Devin was also in the theater. He joins us now with a hot take. Devin, what did you think of First Man? I loved it. Like you said, the audio mixing, like that oh. was that was the thing that got because it's a very dark movie, so you can't really see a lot going on. So the audio is really. I, we saw an IMAX. I said we saw it. Yeah. We saw an IMAX. You need to see it in IMAX. I think. How about like the actual launch? Like I mean, there's several launches in the way, but like the launch, like that, that gripping that ten minutes. And then you know when they actually get into space, and then they you know they're on the moon, and the the audio just cuts out. It's. How about the, the score is also fantastic. The score is definitely going to get nominated. But you're right. All this noise and this cacophony coming at you, then all of a sudden, quiet. Like it's the moon. <laughs> like this is it. Like, oh, my Wait, God. Spoiler alert. Yeah. All right. Passport. What, what, what Come spoiler? On, spoiler alert. You, you, you didn't realize that it's actually about the guy when he walks <laughs> the moon. Right. Uh, fair point by Passport. In case you're wondering, spoiler alert in three, two. Yes, they do show him walking on the moon. I also, by the way, speaking of controversy, Will Kane is not going to watch the movie. I know some conservatives are very upset about this. There's no shot of him planting the flag. I, I'm amazed that this has become a talking point, but Will told me at our buddy Cerise's wedding, I'm not going to see that movie. I'm like, you I thought about ducking the movie, or the, excuse me, the wedding early. It was a great time, but I'm like, well, maybe we can catch a 10.30 show. And we were, I was inviting Will and his wife to come along, and he was like, no, no I can't see that movie. I'm like, what are you serious? You don't like space? You're out on Gosling? You don't like, no, no, no. they don't show them planting the flag. I'm like, is that seriously a talking point? He's like, yeah, I'm not going to see the book because they don't show that. It's very un-American of them. I'm like, wow. All right. Well, to each his own, I guess. But I, I wouldn't let that dissuade that from seeing the movie. But speaking of box office, it was a disappointment relative to expectations. $70 million budget. First movie of Chazelle's to get a big opening. And it only made $16 million, Lost badly to Venom and A Star is Born. Star is Born, as we've discussed, every white woman in America is seeing this multiple times. So it's got great staying power. And Venom, I mean, this is a superhero movie, okay? I mean, you look at it. Passport just called it up here on the computer. The drop for Venom is not as high. Like for superhero movies, that got killed by the critics. A 56% drop actually isn't even that bad. It's getting 8,200 per theater. A Star is Born is holding up very strongly. So First Man comes in, and it gets beat soundly against both of these movies, which were not in their opening weekends. Now... I did read Argo very similarly to First Man opened around in that 15 to 18 million. And then because Affleck's movie held strong through Oscar season and then winning Oscars end up reaching the hundred million dollar mark. But this is definitely concerning for First Man. Another story I read is that a lot of young males, which is shocking to me, are not opening weekend goers as much as other demographics, meaning First Man's definitely targeted towards males and young males. But if they don't see an opening weekend, they'll just catch it the next weekend. Whereas I suppose let's say, young females, they're going to go opening weekend. If they're not into the movie opening weekend, they're probably not going to go after that. Interesting. I, I can attest to that because that's yeah. kind of my philosophy, too. I generally don't go opening weekend unless I really want to see the movie like Halloween this week. I've got right. my tickets for Thursday. <laughs> I actually had a chance to see it tonight, but I have to work, so I lost my chance to get a preview screening of it. But that, that philosophy does hold sound because, you know, we tend to do other things than go to the movies right. on Thursday or Friday or Saturday nights. Therefore, we're missing the opening weekend uh, draw, but we'll catch it later in the next couple of weeks. And also to point out, too, like you said, it came out against Venom and A Star is Born, two very hyped movies that were coming out this year. Uh, I think it would have benefited. I, I said on Twitter, I responded to um, one of our followers that he asked uh, – Jonathan Bostetter asked, why did it bomb? I said, well, because it was just, it, it went up against too much competition. You go up against two very hype movies, even though they're in their second weekends, mm -hmm. they're, 
they're going to make the money. And even though this one's kind of hyped, people want to see it. It's not the box office booming draw film. This is the Oscar bait film that normally comes out around November, December. So they're going to hold it in theaters for a couple of months. It's going to have a nice long run leading up to the Oscars. So don't don't cry too many tears for a bad opening weekend. This thing is still going to make a lot of money. It's just not going to make a lot of money right now. Cinema score only gave it a B plus. That's what audiences ranked the way, which is a little bit low as well. So I mean, a little bit concerning. The movie's about two fifteen. Maybe it's a little too slow for some people. A little too into. Mark Simon wasn't a fan of it. He only gave it two and a half stars. Ben Lyons texted me said he wasn't crazy about it. So maybe it's not to everyone's taste. But I loved it, and hopefully people check it out. Maybe One of they them should have put the flag in the movie. Yeah, exactly. But they, well, here's the other part of it. It did not gross well overseas, which I'm like, well, see, you should have just gone all American audiences and planted the flag and made this big jingoistic film because nobody in China wants to see the movie anyways. So you took out the flag. Nobody cared. I'm Adnan Burke, and I talk for a living. But while we all talk, there are millions of skilled workers out there, like construction workers or utility repairmen or solar technicians who make their living as doers. They keep the lights on, the roads paved, the water flowing. They're the unsung heroes who keep the world moving. Look around you. Pretty much anything that's part of modern civilization is all thanks to skilled workers. They make it happen. In fact, this podcast might not even exist or get to the audience without skilled workers to provide electricity and run server centers and build devices. For all the doers out there, Timberland Pro has the hypercharged work boot. Designed for optimal performance and comfort, anti-fatigue technology delivers underfoot comfort for long days on the job site, composite safety toe powered by carbon shield technology, stable stride technology to help keep you steady on uneven surfaces, premium full-grain waterproof leather with a waterproof membrane, breathable and moisture-wicking lining, antimicrobial treatment for odor control. It's a must-have boot for doers. There are talkers and there are doers. Timberland Pro, always do, never done. One other movie to review. It's Natalie Portman's movie called Vox Lux, and it is absolutely awful. I mean, we, we, I was talking about some other bad movies so far this year. This is brutal. The year 1999, the eve of the 21st century, teenage sisters Celeste and Eleanor survive a seismic violent tragedy. The sisters compose and perform a song about their experience making something lovely and cathartic out of catastrophe while also catapulting Celeste to stardom. By 2017, the now 31-year-old Celeste is mother to a teenage daughter of her own and struggling to navigate a career fraught with scandals when another act of terrifying violence demands her attention. I admit, it's a pretty good blurb. Sounds interesting, right? It isn't. Uh, it has all the worst instincts of a movie like this, which is to say it's over the top and it's melodramatic and her performance is just a mess. I mean, I... I I think it might do okay with certain audiences that like Natalie Portman, and I, I understand they're trying to pose questions of teen idols and fame and divas and what all that means. Uh, and she did get good reviews at Venice. A best case for Natalie Portman is maybe she gets some talk for best supporting actress. But as a movie as a whole, it was definitely disappointing. I do think she's a good actress. I mean, listen, we loved her in Black Swan. Um, she's obviously made good movies in the past, but Vox Lux, Vac, yeah, Vox Lux which is about a school shooting, which then turns into a story about a teen pop idol, is not a movie that I would recommend. I'm only giving it one Maple Leaf. It also stars Jude Law, who last seen, I loved him in a movie called Dom Hemingway. Coming up a few years ago, he played this gangster. I love that movie. None of the people saw it, but uh, Jude Law has made better work, and so has Natalie Portman. Now it's time for our special guest. And a real pleasure to welcome in Robert Forster, legendary actor who's been in so many great films over the years, and we'll dive into some of those. He has a new film called What They Had, starring Hilary Swank, Michael Shannon, Blythe Diner, and many more. Thanks so much for the time today, Robert. 
You bet, Ed, man. Thanks for calling. Well, so this storyline is very heavy. At the urging of her brother, a woman returns to Chicago to visit her father and mother, the latter now suffering from Alzheimer's disease. I Hearing the movie is getting rave reviews. I can't wait to go see it myself in New York City in a couple of days. But when you get a film like this, which has such deep themes, I'm curious about the process while making it. Is it a situation where, because the themes are so sobering, uh, it's a serious set, or do you go the other way, and are you trying to offer some levity in between calling action? Thanks. Boy, that's a good question. This movie was written by a young woman, her first movie, but it won the Nichols Prize given by the Academy, the, the, the Motion Picture Academy, for a great script. She attracted Hilary Swank and Michael Shannon and uh, Blythe Danner and the two guys who produced Little Miss Sunshine. This movie has both tears and laughter. It has plenty of laughter. And I remind people that a hundred years from now, when they show this movie, it'll still have tears and laughter. And if there is an ingredient that, uh, that art should include, it is that it be good a hundred years from now. Uh, it is, um, a, uh, it's a picture that on the set, you know, uh, actors, uh, get together with a uh, little preparation. Uh, it's a, was a short schedule. You jump on the set and you assume intimacy and there are wonderful uh, moments in this script that are uh, that are serious uh, because she's uh, she she's in a moment in life when she needs care and there is so much humor this is a movie that when i read it and then when i saw it it reminded me of a movie that i liked a long time ago that i didn't see for a long time but people kept telling me how good it was uh, a great big fat wedding and when you saw it, you realized why people loved it. It showed you who they were in their own family. It reminded you of who you were and who your family members were. And you, uh, and you didn't have to be Greek to identify with that movie. This is a movie like that. It is wonderful, and it is heart-lifting, and it is tearful. God, it's a good movie. I have never, look, I've been working 52 years. I have never had as good a job as this. I've never had as good a part as this. Jackie Brown was good for me and Medium Cool and Reflections in a Golden Eye and some of the fun ones like Alligator. And these are movies that I am always proud of. But this one I will be most proud of. And, uh, and I can only tell you uh, what they had is one of the great movies in my career. A 50-year Hollywood career, what they had the best. I cannot wait to see it, Robert. I want to ask you about Jackie Brown, which you did cite. I don't know how you did it, but in a cast with such big names like Samuel L. Jackson and Robert De Niro and Bridget Fonda and Pam Greer roaring back to prominence, you walked away with the movie. I remember watching it going, man, this guy, Robert Forster, was the best part of the film. I was so thrilled for you when you got nominated for an Academy Award playing this world-weary bail bondsman who was in love with this woman. Tell me all about that film and uh, how you were able to knock it out of the park. Well, you were proud of me. So were my ex-wives. Um, <laughs> no, this it, Jackie Brown, like this movie, had great writing. I am the beneficiary of my whole career of great writers. The actor doesn't make it up. Uh, the, the writer gives you something to do and say and presents you on the screen in ways that... Uh, you know, present you wonderfully and heroically and uh, or whatever it is, their purpose. But um, uh, Quentin Tarantino was the guy who wrote that and who gave me the part. This part was sought after by every 
big actor in Hollywood. It was the, maybe the best leading, uh, well, it was a supporting man, but it was the best character of that type that year. If Robert Mitchum or uh, Humphrey Bogart were still working, they would have had that role. Uh, but I know that it was, uh, I know that there are other actors who campaigned for it. And uh, Quentin Tarantino, and I know this to be true, said, no, this is Robert Forster's role. I had been out, I had had a five-year ascending career and 27 years slipping, sliding, dropping, bounced at the bottom. And when I was very at the bottom, Quentin Tarantino came along in a little coffee shop I yelled at him. I said, come on over here. And he came over. We both, we BS for a while. And, uh, and then I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm adapting an Elmore Leonard novel, Rum Punch, to a movie. He said, why don't you read it? Uh, about six months later, I walked into my same restaurant where I always had breakfast every morning. And he was sitting in my chair. And before I could even get to the chair, he lifted up this script and he handed it to me. And he said, read this, see if you like it. So Quentin Tarantino did all the work. I got all the credit. Uh, Elizabeth Chomko, for what they had, did all the work. I got all the credit. The other actors, of course, are wonderful. And, uh, and they, in them, they have great parts. This is a wonderful movie with characters that you will love and find common with and cry with uh, and laugh with. It's a Wonderful movie. I cannot tell you how great I uh, After a 52-year career, I'm in this picture. This is the best of the bunch. I cannot wait to see what they had. One other question about Jackie Brown. How much, uh, I know the character Max Cherry loves the Delphonics, but how much did you like the Delphonics? That's such a great scene so, in the movie. It's a good motif. These are from my era, from my youth. Uh, you know, these are the kind of things that... Uh, when I, not my youth youth, my real youth was uh, Boney Maroney and Rockin' Robin and uh, all those uh, novelty songs of that era, of the 50s. But uh, the Delphonics were, uh, were hip and smooth and uh, the kind of thing that Max Cherry only discovered when he knew that Pam Greer uh, liked him. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you can understand that easily. <laughs> Have you ever had a director talk as fast as Tarantino when offering direction on set? Or is he the opposite of what I think? Uh, he is not as uh, frenetic as sometimes you see him on television. But uh, he is um, very direct and very clear and simple. His best direction, and I heard him give it more than once to actor, me and other actors, was just make me believe it. The primary ingredient is that the audience believes the actor. And uh, so uh, all the other things you may have to do in a scene, entrances and exits and moving props around and uh, whatever there else there may be, you got to know what the writer wanted when he created this little fraction of the film that we're shooting right now. And, um, and, uh, and you got to deliver it uh, uh, as, uh, as clearly as you can. He is, um, he is a kind of a guy. And once in a while, he would hand me a piece of paper that he had just, written stood over there um with nobody bothering him and just printed a few words a couple lines or a little different to a line he says try this the next take and uh you know you'd read it and absorb it and uh and um and try to uh then deliver it and uh bingo bango and now we're done let's move on to the next shot that's how movies are shot you don't shoot a movie you shoot a 
series of shots, a finite number of them in a, on a, on a work day, uh, 15, 20 shots, 18 shots. And he just, this is something that nobody has ever done. He gave everybody on the crew and cast a shot list, you know, 20 shots. And these are what we're going to try to get today. And with that knowledge, everybody knew how to pull in the same direction. We're going to get these. Everybody is on a team trying to get those shots, preparing for the next shot. Uh, This guy was really, really good. Uh, and, uh, and he was, uh, he was wonderful to actors. Uh, he made actors, uh, uh, confident. He was a great director. I can't believe it. That Philip brought his little brother on our mission into orbit. How long until we get there? How long until we get there? How long until we get there? No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? What's this button do? No, no, don't touch that. Believe it. GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Talk with Robert Forster's new film is called What They Had. Make sure you check it out. Also co-starring Hilary Swank and Michael Shannon. Hey, of all the movies, Robert, how about Reflections in a Golden Eye? Elizabeth Taylor, Marlon Brando, and a young Robert Forster. How cool was that? Wow. I was uh, I was not scared somehow. I didn't uh, listen. I figured the only ones who had a right to be scared were the producers or the other actors because they knew what they were doing. I did not. I uh, I showed up there. And I remember being totally naive. I saw in the movie script that the character that I was playing rides naked on a horse. Naked on a horse, I thought to myself. I wonder how they do that. Probably trick photography or something. No. When I got to the set in Italy, there was, we got to the set, and here was a guy sitting on a horse, naked, riding around on this horse. And I said, Holy mackerel, that's supposed to be me. That's some Italian uh, uh, stunt guy or actor. Or, or I said, no, no, no. I went to John Houston. I said, you know, I can do that. He said, can you really, Bobby? I said, sure I can. I said, I can do that. And he said, and the next thing I know, the wardrobe department gave me a little V cut out of a jock strap and some flesh-colored tape for my modesty. I couldn't get it on very well. I got it on. I jumped on the horse. It came off. I threw it in the bushes, and I said, Bob, if you cannot do this, if you are unwilling to give this this moment abandon, you better quit being an actor. That was a moment of truth, and, uh, and uh, you know, you have those kind of moments. If you are afraid to ride this horse naked, uh, <laughs> you better quit. And so uh, that, that was a, uh, a scary moment, but, uh, God, I remember thinking, yeah, trick photography. That's probably how they do it. <laughs> John Houston impression. By the way, you know, I love uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. And some people will say he's doing a John Houston impression. It's your choice. Either you can you can delve into whether or not that's true, or you can just give me more of a John Houston impression, Robert. Your choice. When I met the guy, I, I don't know whether he was doing a John, John Houston impression, but I have done a, a few words in the Houston. When I first met him, I waited in a lobby. There were all kinds of guys. They all looked like me. And I said, God, this is a uh, this is a, a cattle call. I knew what the word was. I'd just never been in one. But I saw all these guys in the hotel lobby. Finally, when they called my name, 
I was escorted up the elevator. We wait outside of a door. Somebody leaves. I'm escorted in. I'm introduced to this tall old guy. What have you done? What have you done? I said, look, I haven't done much. I did one Broadway play. I wasn't bad. I don't make myself an actor. I never did a movie. I don't know what the tricks are. But if you hire me, I'll give you your money's worth. He says, Ray, Ray Stark, a big producer. Ray, come in here, Ray. I'd like you to meet an actor. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? I told him I only did it once. I didn't want to oversell myself. I shake hands with the, with the, uh, with the producer. I turn back to John Houston. John Houston says, You'll be hearing from us. <laughs> I figure that's the kiss off. When uh, when you hear you will be hearing for you'll be hearing from us. You never hear from anybody. Yeah. In any event, this guy gave me one of my great lessons in movie making. Um, uh, two days later, I was on the phone with him. The agents arranged a telephone call. Uh, I say, um, now look, uh, you, uh, I thank you very much for uh, hiring me, and I appreciate it. I said, but do you remember I told you I never did a movie? He <laughs> says. I remember. And I said, well, well, and he says, reading my mind, he says, I'll give you some instruction. Uh, I meet him again uh, about a month later here in Los Angeles at Western Costume. We're doing the costume. And I go straight to him. I say, look, they they uh, they they sent me the script and I read the script. And, and the, you said you had some instructions for me. What are they? And he says. But not yet, Bobby. Well, until the morning we start shooting, I asked him, what are these instructions? Finally, on the morning we start shooting, he says, uh, and we, I drive me to the car, I drive me to the set, I get out of the, one foot out the back door, when from behind, I hear Houston say, now's the time, Bobby. I say, shoot, I'm all ears. He says, go take a look through the lens. And I walk to the lens, and I look through, and I turn to him, and he's got his fingers in that way. Directors show you what the frame line is. And he says, those are the frame lines. I said, yeah, you mean that line that shows the cameraman what the audience sees? He says, those are the frame lines. Now, ask yourself this. What needs to be there? In one Zen remark, this guy gives me the responsibility and the authority to put inside that frame what needs to go in there. He didn't tell me all the other things, and I won't make it long, but he didn't tell me what the, that the writer uh, uh, needs something there, and I didn't, uh, he didn't tell me I was going to have to do the detective work. He didn't tell me uh, what the, that the light guy wants me to be in him or that the one behind the lens has got to be, um, I've got to be inside of his frame, or if I do something wrong for sound, they call and they say, no good for sound, start again. The actor has got to create a stroke which advantages everybody's needs at once. Everybody is your boss. And uh, look, uh, you, you owe something to the other actor. You owe something to the guy who's cutting this picture and editing this picture. And if you're going around the curves of this, of this roller coaster car that we've trying to get our audience in and give them a ride, and if you're not believable, they won't be there at the end of the ride. You owe something to everybody, including the guy who hired you, you got to be ready so that you can help them make their schedule. Every single day is a war day. You got to get all those shots. And um, John Houston gave me my best single piece of advice ever. Those are the frame lines. Now ask yourself this what needs to be there?
That's fabulous. Great storytelling from Robert Forster. What they had is this new movie. A couple more for you that I promise we'll let you get rolling. Tell me about Sheriff Truman in Twin Peaks. What was your favorite part of that character? He was a straight shooter. Uh, you know, I've been hired to play straight shooters, good guys. Uh, and, and I think that that may be uh, what my uh, the end of my career is, is going to be like. I played good guys for 13 years, and then I played a bad guy in uh, Delta Force. And then I could not get out of bad guys for 13 years. Every job I had was a bad guy. And Jackie Brown gave me the, the, the good guy that started out the last 20 years. This has been 20 years since Jackie Brown. And I've had 20 years of good guys and 20 years of playing uh, straight shooters and honest men and, uh, and uh, good fathers and uh, all the kind of things that I always thought I would like to be playing. As an actor, you don't know until you start do you, what you're going to do. You would just have some vague notion when you started. Uh, I thought, God, I don't want to be a lawyer. I, I think I'd rather be an actor. Uh, I wonder how you do it. I did a play by accident at the University of Rochester. I followed a girl into a into a, the um, the auditorium. I said I was struck by lightning. I saw her and I walked and I she walked into the auditorium. I followed her into the auditorium. I uh, met the girl. I, uh, I, they didn't give me the part that I thought I wanted. The part of the, uh, the part of the guy with the gold suit in, uh, in, uh, what was the name of that musical? Um, uh, mu- no, not the music man, something else. Uh, um, me in St. Louis. No, it was a fun musical. And, uh, anyway, Oklahoma. I said, stay, stick, stick, Bob, you'll meet the girl. I did meet the girl. I married the girl. We had three daughters and, uh, and that was the genesis of my wanting to be an actor. I thought, I don't want to be a lawyer. I'd rather be an actor. I wonder how you do it. And you don't know what's going to happen to you. But over the last 20 years, Quentin Tarantino put me back into good guys. And for the last 20, I've been playing, uh, for the most part, um, good straight shooters. And, uh, and, uh, and Truman, uh, Sheriff Truman, David Lynch gave me that kind of part to play. Uh, it wasn't uh, strange. It was uh, a, a, a grounded, good guy. And I have enjoyed playing those kind of characters. It's the kind of character I play in, in, uh, in what they had. Uh, a, a father who is fighting for his, his, uh, his wife, who wants to uh, love and protect her, and is at odds with the children who do not want it to be the way I want it to be. It's a, uh, it's a family fight. Um, of a serious movie with an awful lot of humor, tears, and laughter. Last one for you, Robert. We're obsessed with Michael Shannon, who is a co-star in What They Had, this film that you're talking about. He's so great because he's so good at playing these villains. I just love uh, how sadistic he can be in film. But I imagine in life, he is nothing like that. Tell me all about Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon is nothing like that in life. He is the guy when we do the Q&As. You know, we're plugging this picture. And when we do a screening and uh, there are several of us are uh, sitting in chairs, he is always the guy that gets laughs. He is always the guy that is understated. He is one of the really good guys uh, that I've ever met. And I've done, I did another picture with him. We did a, a Grand Theft Parsons about ooh, 15 or 17 years ago. Uh, and uh, so this is the second time we've worked together. And he claims that if I, uh, if I last long enough, we will do another one. 
I love it. What they had is a new film. Robert Forster, Hilary Swank, Michael Shannon, Blythe Danner in theaters everywhere October 19th. Robert, these stories were phenomenal. Uh, naked guy and a horse, John Houston, Tarantino. I loved it. Thank you so much. You are such a gent, and I appreciate it. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Honestly, Robinhood's been great for me. I found it so useful. It's so easy to do, especially using the app. The app could not be easier to work through. And honestly, here's some of the values of the Robinhood app. Cost, no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Easy to understand charts and market data. Place a trade in just four taps in your smartphone. That's it. Robinhood web platform also lets you view stock collections and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio and discover new stocks and track favorite companies with personalized news feeds. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at CinephileRobinhood.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E dot Robinhood.com. All right. Thanks to Robert Forster. God, he was really entertaining and funny. Let us know your thoughts on him and what other guests you'd like to see. Cinephile ESPN. Not often that we dovetail into television, but here's a little bit for you. Better Call Saul, season four just wrapped. At one point, I thought about punting on the show just because I've realized it's never going to be Breaking Bad. And obviously, that's a lofty comparison. That's one of the great dramas of all time. But Breaking Bad, I was starting to get frustrated because... I just found it was too much character and not enough plot. Like Saul is a very interesting character, but maybe he's better as a supporting actor and shouldn't actually be the lead of the show. I mean, there was so much skepticism around the show. It's amazing they've been able to pull four seasons out of it. But I just wish there was a little bit more to it, and I wish that the, the wheels were churning a little bit further. Having said that, Odenkirk's a really good actor, and I like the way he plays Saul. Uh, it's really well shot. So there's a whole team, Vince Gilligan and company, that did Breaking Bad. So still got that great locale of uh, New Mexico. And I thought Rhea Seahorn's character was really good. Uh, she plays Kim Wexler, the female lead. I think she's an excellent actress. I hope she gets uh, other roles now offered her way because of how good she is in Breaking Bad. Uh, excuse me, in Better Call Saul. And you also get some supporting roles. Obviously, you get Mike Ehrman Trout. You have Gus uh, Fringe. Uh, but obviously, the whole situation is: what if we ever get Walter White back in the show? How awesome would that be? But I do think the show is worthwhile if you're a fan of Breaking Bad. If you like the slow burn to it. I'll give it like two and a half Maple Leafs. I thought the finale is really good of season four, and it's only 13 episodes. It's on AMC, which also the other part of my brother noted is that we dropped more F-bombs now. They're kind of getting a little more risky with the language, which, hey, it's cable TV. Why not? Better call Saul. I'm not sure if you're watching it, Dan Stanzik. I'm not, it? but I'm very surprised. Season four. Yeah, isn't that shocking? Like, where are we in terms of best spinoffs ever? Like, you're not too wild about it, but no. Frazier is probably the, the Frazier's top, the right? heavyweight champion. Yeah. What else do we have in the Mount Rushmore of spinoffs? Because I can't name another one that's gone four seasons. Yeah, normally they're always a disaster. I mean, the worst one ever has to be Joey. Right. Like, Dre DiMatteo doing that after the Sopranos. <laughs> Joey Trivia, it's just awful. Yeah, to find a successful spinoff is rare. Frazier's the one. What is it? Isn't uh, Taxi? No. Oh, Taxi was, is there a spinoff from Taxi? Passport so, has one. So Maude was technically a spinoff. Um, and the Jeffersons was a spinoff. Oh, the Jeffersons all the, all is the a family. Spin-off. So the Jeffersons is a Mount Rushmore for sure. Was, what's the Jim Carrey? Mork and Mindy? That was a spinoff now. Uh, Mork and Mindy was a tie in with Happy Days. Cause he had the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Would we count that as spinoff? I, I think so. I think we can count Mork and yeah. Mindy, Jeffersons, and Frazier. 
And Better Call Saul. Laverne, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley as well. Oh, Laverne that and Shirley. That was also okay. a spinoff of Happy Days. So basically, the happy Gary Marshall is the man for this. He just creates an incredible show, gets the spinoffs done, boom. Better Call Saul. Maybe not Rushmore, but due to the lack of other <laughs> other candidates out there, maybe that elevates it in terms of great spinoffs. Classic era, modern era. Yeah, this exactly. is a modern era Rushmore. Yeah, it does have to separate into two different uh, categories. Also, The Sopranos is going to have its 20th anniversary January 9th of next year, so getting ahead of it, deciding to revisit the entire show 40 episodes in, which means I'm in the middle of season four. Still holds up. That's the first question always with these series. 20 years later, yep. I forgot how funny the first two seasons are. The, the show gets dramatically darker and more violent, which isn't to say you don't have those elements. I mean, obviously, it's about the mafia. But the first two seasons really focus on Tony and his family, having this daughter, Meadow, and his son, AJ, and the relationship with him and Carmela. You forget how funny Pauly is, Tony Sirico and Silvio Dante, who's, of course, Springsteen's buddy, which is just amazing that this guy's an actor playing a gangster in the show. But like the first season came out of nowhere. Nobody knew what to expect with this show, and all of a sudden it became this huge, critically approved show. And then the second season started to build a little bit more. And every time you had a great nemesis, season two you had Richie Aprile. Season three is great because then Joe Pantoliano shows up. He's amazing. Um, but I think I'd forgotten just how funny the show was. Obviously, it was ahead of its time, a forerunner of these great cable shows. And I think everyone recognizes that. You know, a guy like Brian Cranston said, listen, you wouldn't have Breaking Bad if it wasn't for The Sopranos. It was one of those great anti-hero shows and uh, humanized this guy who is capable of such monstrous acts. But in terms of favorite episodes, the one where they went to Italy in season two is really good. And season three, I mean, the Melfi rape episode is still harrowing to watch. Uh, also, the scene where Ralphie kills a stripper is just brutal to watch. Um, it's interesting because you wonder now, could they get away with what they did 20 years ago? I'm not sure. Some of those scenes, especially the language, I mean, they're using a lot of a very popular gay slur back then. I'm like, I, I don't think you can say that now. Um, even though it's cable, even though it's a mafia, I think people are like, eh, I'm not sure about that. I get a little squeamish. But it's still a show that holds up. And, and obviously, I love The Sopranos being somebody who uh, appreciates the gangster genre. Dan Sanzik, you watched The Sopranos, did you not? No. Big hole in the resume. Wow. Never watched it. wasn't a huge hit. Didn't have HBO growing up. Mm. Mark Sanzik wasn't shelling out for that. Yes. So, yeah, miss miss that window. Never I, watched uh, West Wing's another one. Everyone tells me I would have loved yeah, Never watched West Wing. Politically savvy. Yeah, okay. I know. Well, don't worry. One of these days, you'll get like just... Two weeks to yourself, I'm sure. It's vacation. Bam. I'm going to binge watch these shows. And you're right, though, but HBO, because same thing. We didn't, in Canada, it was TMN, the movie network. You had to pay like 20 bucks a month. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So the first season, I never saw it. And then I just, because I would read Entertainment Weekly and all these shows, I go, oh, my God, you'll watch this show. You'll lose 10 pounds. It'll change your life. I'm like, all right, fine. We'll scrounge around here in college. All my buddies get together. Let's all put in five bucks just a month. Wait, to watch lose 10 pounds? I'm just joking. The, the show was so great, right? Oh, just I was like, wait thing. a minute. The hyperbole surrounding the show. It's a weird phrase. You never heard that before? Like, oh my God, the show is like, is that a Canadian again. phrase? Perhaps. We'll see what the listeners say. Tweet us at Cinephile Spin. Have you heard that expression in relation to something that you love so much? Passport Sopranos? Negative. I was a little too young. I'm, I'm 31, so I missed the boat on the age demographic for it, for it. Yeah. So like breaking bad. The newer stuff is what I've kind of yeah, adapted exactly. to. And it, the other thing is they were still doing very long seasons, if I'm not mistaken, right? They were still like 13 four, episodes. Those were only 13. So yeah. they were on the forefront of the shorter seasons. Yeah. So down the line, it could be something I'll, I will watch eventually. What would be the most daunting aspect of it? If I said to you that's 86 episodes? 86 hours. Yeah. So you go, I just can't do that. Well, I mean, I, I, I can. It's just time. There's, <laughs> there's so much content now. I think yes. that's the big problem. Is no, I hear you. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, there's not as much really good gripping stuff. Now, like I said, I just watch Cobra Kai on YouTube Red. Like, there's stuff everywhere now. 
All right. As we close up shop here, we'll get to Cobra kind of sec. You get you get thirty seconds on Barry. Sell me on after I finish the Sopranos. Why I should launch into Barry Henry Winkler, like Emmy Award winner? Yeah, Hem- Henry Winkler and Bill Hader both won Emmys for it. So right there is your big sell. Like you got to see these two guys just work. It's darkly hilarious and it's extremely gripping at times, especially near the end and in the finale. I'll give you that final five minutes of that finale is up there as one of the best uh, starting season closers, I will say. Like, first season enders, cliffhangers, is is tremendous. I I think it's one of the best shows out there right now, and I can't wait to see season two. It's only 30 minutes, right? Ten, ten episodes? Ten like episodes, 30 minutes. All right, so we can fly Easy, through this. Fi- Five-hour five hour couch binge, done. All right, once I finish The Sopranos, I got another 46 episodes, we'll go. Do you think... Do I remind you at all of Bill Hader? Our mutual friend Allison thinks oh, yeah, Allison, I look like no, him that's or zero. I, you, you I don't know. see it at all. Okay. You don't look like Bill Hader. You don't sound like Bill Hader. Nope. Okay. I'll, good. I'll, Just for the record, for I the see. next cinephile, I'll think of an actor you look like or remind me of, but it's definitely not Bill Hader. Good. Bill Hader looks like there's a guy named Will Tomlinson here. I'll point him out to you. That guy looks like Bill Hader. Allison, we love Allison, but that's a very off base. You know, there's lots of people out there who will tell you what's smart and what's not smart. You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash Cinephile. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Cinephile. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Cinephile. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 30 seconds, Cobra Kai. Go ahead, Ricky. So picking up where the original left off, um, the, the kind of branches off the first uh, Karate Kid film. And uh, one of the best things it does is it kind of humanizes all the characters. It humanizes both Johnny and uh, Danny. to the, like It gives them more dimensional uh, character development as opposed to just being a bully and the kid getting picked on. And it kind of also teases the fact that Dan, uh, Danny was also a bully and Danny was also not a very good kid in the first one because he does, they do allude to the fact that he stole, uh, Elizabeth Shue away from Johnny in the film when they were dating and all this other stuff. So there's a lot of really good depth and character development. Plus it's just kind of an interesting social message on this day and age where we're very much akin to, uh, not fighting, turning the other cheek, like don't be bullies, but bullying is, maybe even worse now with social media and they really hammer that home. And, and it is that kind of aspect of you've got Danny who's teaching, you know, balance and positivity and not attacking and really just kind of letting things go and letting things come to you where Johnny's reopening Cobra Kai. And he's saying, no, you, if you want to stop being losers and stop being bullied and picked on, you have to fight back. You have to strike for show no mercy. And it's kind of like balancing this dynamic of what, the original film really did, which was, do you want to be the aggressor and be a bully or do you want to be passive and, and let things come to you? But it kind of flips the script because the bullies are the ones that are passive and, and the 
kids being bullied are finally taking that back. So it's a, it's a very interesting take on, on the original film. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was very skeptical at first, but once I got through about, I want to say like episode three, I was all in. Nice. Cobra Kai. Check it out. Coming up on the next Cinefile, we'll have Rick Passmore's review of the new Halloween. Nobody's more psyched than he is. And thanks, as always, to our guest, Robert Forster, who is fabulous. His film is called What They Had. Also, Ty Burr, the great film critic the Boston Globe. My buddy Mike Dezenoff said, I hope you do more of that, meaning get more film critics. It was really fun to nerd out. I listened back to My favorite part is every time I kept listing another Scorsese movie, he would say, oh, that's great, but no, not that one. He just he, he didn't did not want to bite until he was absolutely sure he had the absolute fifth best Scorsese movie, which in his mind was Silence, which is the perfect nerd answer. And thanks to my buddy Rob Lemley, who went back and watched Vertigo after all the discussion we've uh, shared here on Cinefon. He loved the movie as well. So that just makes my day when somebody actually listens uh, and listens to what I'm suggesting and Ty Burr as well. Also, thanks to Ike uh, Barinholtz. His uh, movie, The Oath, is now opening wider in theaters. Passport tweeted a little bit of that interview on Cinephile ESPN. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Guests coming up will be including Gabe Polsky. He's the director of a new movie that uh, Ben Lyons actually helped executive produce. And also Ben Foster, Leave No Trace, his movie coming out. And we're also, fingers crossed, on Jonah Hill. He's the director of a new movie called Mid-90s. Those guests and more to look forward to. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.